You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Good morning, City Church. My name is Jake Axon. I'm the student director here, and it's my joy to get to preach this morning. Last year, uh, we went through the book of Acts as a church, uh, as we took a look at the early church and what they did immediately following the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And before his ascension, Jesus lays a calling on the life of every believer who would ever live after this moment. And the calling is this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is how Acts begins, with a message of salvation for all people about God's love for them in Jesus. And if you missed it, if you weren't here for that, uh, I just want to summarize the entire book of Acts in one sentence for you, okay? So if, if you had to ask me to one sentence, what is the book of Acts? This is what I think it is. It is the story of God getting his glory by sending his name to the ends of the earth on the lips of those who love him to the hearts of those far from him. It is literally the acts of the believers in Jesus doing everything they possibly can to get the message of Christ crucified and risen for salvation to the ends of the earth. So we've spent the whole last year looking at this book, studying this book, and this morning, I want to help us answer the question, what do we do now? We read Acts, we saw the faithfulness of the saints, we saw the gospel go out, now what? How do we apply? How do we move on from this? And uh, I want to turn to 1 Peter to give us what I think is the biblical answer to this question. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says this, concerning this salvation, as in, the salvation that, that comes only from Jesus, the salvation from our sins, the salvation from God's wrath, the salvation uh, to eternal life, this salvation that Jesus Christ came into the earth, the perfect one died for the imperfect uh, and took all of our sin on himself, allowing us to go free and he rose from the dead proving he's God. This salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you they searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So there's a lot of Christian language here and I wanna help us understand what this is saying. This is saying this salvation, as in the gospel, the prophets in the Old Testament have been talking about it and hinting at it, and foreshadowing, and, and whispering about this Messiah who's going to come and save people from their sins. It says in, in verse 11, they prophesied about the grace that would come to you, and they carefully investigated. They're inquiring into what time or circumstances the Spirit is, is indicating uh, uh, when is Jesus going to come? When is this Messiah going to come and save the people? And I love this, verse 12, it actually says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And now Paul, or P, 
Peter is writing this to a specific audience, but he's writing it to New Testament believers. That's us. So he's writing it to you as well. The prophets were not preaching their sermons just for the people in their day and age, but for you and me. So that we could see that the gospel is laced through every single part of not just the Bible, but all of history. It's pointing to Jesus. And these things have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And I love this. The angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. I just want you to think about this. Angels, like heavenly angelic beings. They hear whispers about the holy God of the universe, the perfect, righteous, powerful God saving sinners. And they hear that not only does he save sinners, he does it by entering his creation, coming to the earth himself, and then wearing the sin for his people to bring them into his family? Like this is a crazy story of a perfect king dying for the rebels of his kingdom and then making them his children. The angels hear about this and the prophets have been talking about it. All of history is pointing to it. And it says the angels, they just wanna catch a glimpse of the gospel. They just wanna see a part of it. And I think we could, Take some of this longing from them. We get to see it and experience it. These angels, they just want to see a glimpse of it. And so I think that their love for the gospel and their awe-struck just wonder of the gospel helps this next verse apply a little bit more. Verse 13, therefore, as in based on this, we've seen this salvation that the angels long to get a glimpse of. What do we do? With your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. This is saying we've seen the gospel. We've seen the message that angels are longing to get a peek at. We've seen the the beautiful story of the God-man coming to the earth, dying in the place of sinners to bring us into relationship with him for free, and he rises from the dead and promises eternal life to us. We've seen this, and we've experienced this. Now let's not go back to how we used to be. Let's not go back to living the way that we were before we knew this gospel. But instead, instead, this is what we do, City Church, verse 15. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What do we do in 2024? How do we respond to Acts? make it our aim this year and for the rest of our lives, two words, be holy. When Peter says that God is holy, what he means is that God 
is alone in the universe. What he means is that God is in a category all by himself. There is no one and no thing in the universe like him. He is, he is different from every other being in, in existence in beauty, in glory, in power, in knowledge, character, goodness, wisdom, intellect. When we say God is holy, we are saying that God is set apart and set above everything and everyone else in the entire universe. There's none like him. He's alone. Now I want you to hear that again. Because I am holy, be holy. Because I'm holy, be holy. God is calling you in a world that is more wicked than ever, more broken than ever, more vile than ever, to live in a way where your life doesn't reflect the world or the desires of your former self, but to reflect the life of a person who's come face to face with a holy God. If you read the scriptures cover to cover, you'll see what I'm talking about. When someone encounters God in the Bible face to face, they walk away differently. Uh, think about Moses. He's hidden in the cleft of a rock. He's not even allowed to see the front of God. He has to see the backside of God. If he sees the front of God, he's gonna die. That's how holy God is, okay? He sees the backside of God as he passes by. And then what happens? What does he have to do? He has to put a veil over his face because his face is glowing. And the people are terrified because Moses has seen God. Think about Jacob. He wrestles with God and what happens? He walks with a limp for the rest of his life. And everyone who sees him sees that limp and knows one thing. Jacob has seen God. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter six, he's in the temple and he has this moment where he sees the coattails of Jesus's cloak. And he just sees the coattails. This is the prophet of Israel, like the holiest man in the land, the best of the best. God's chosen servant, he sees the fringes of Christ's garment and his response. Isaiah says, I'm nothing. I'm undone. I'm undone. I am wicked and I live in a nation of wicked people. God, you are holy. When you encounter the living God, and he changes your life with his forgiveness of your sin, you will live different and you will look different. Holiness means living a distinct, set apart life for God and his glory that's guided by scripture and not the world. It's guided by God's spirit, not what's popular, and is guided by the church, not our feelings.
You see, in a world that elevates self and success and sex and sin as the things to build your life on and fight for and prioritize, we elevate Christ as the all-satisfying, truly beautiful, absolutely awesome one of the universe in everything that we do, think, and say. That is holiness. That is what it means to be holy, is to say, in a world that is pushing everything else as what you need, what you need to chase, what you need to desire, we sit back and we say, Christ is enough. In fact, he's more than enough. We elevate Christ in all that we think, do, and say. The calling is to be holy. And I want to look more closely at this. I want to take us to Romans chapter 12 as our main text. Romans 12, uh, verses 9 to 21. If you have a Bible, go to Romans 12, verse 9. This is Paul giving a random list of encouragements on how we ought to live a holy life. I think this is a good place to start. It says this in, in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Other translations say, let love be genuine. This is a fun word. It says, abhor evil. That means violently detest that which is evil, that which is apart from God. Cling, like you would hold on to a light pole in a, in a flood. Cling to what is good. But actually, taking a step further, theologians will read this text not just to say, let love be without hypocrisy, but genuine love will detest evil. Genuine love will cling to what is good. And I don't want you to miss this. This is not a generic piece of advice. This is not three steps to an easier life. This is not uh, a Christian fortune cookie. This is saying, if we as Christians want to be holy, we must love what God loves and hate what God hates. Do not let the world define love for you. In fact, don't define it for yourself either. Let God define it. God created love. God is the author of love. God owns love. God is love, actually. That's what the Bible says. And, and to be truly loving, we have to agree with the one who made love on what it is. And, and the one who created love says that to love, to be truly loving, you must hate evil and cling to what is good. And in our world today, more than ever, our holiness will be seen. And, our, and that means that Christ's character will be seen by the things that we love and hate. Paul continues, verse 10. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. This is so simple. In a world that is hostile and harsh, and I know that I don't have to convince you that the world is hostile or harsh. If you don't believe me, just download Twitter. This is a hostile and a harsh world. This is a command for Christians to not be cold to one another. We have enough enemies and adversaries in the world as it is. If Christians are being cold to one another, then the church is doomed. 
We have to see ourselves as being on the same team. And not just that, but love one another with warmth like we are family members. Outdoing one another in love. Counting others as more valuable than ourselves. In fact, I love the, the idea of not being cold with one another. In verse 11, it says, do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. This is saying, don't be lazy and being passionate about things. And the word fervent means boiling. Be boiling in the spirit. Be white hot in the spirit with how we serve the Lord and love one another. And here's why it matters. A, because everyone knows that our churches would be a whole lot better, a whole lot more fun, and a whole lot more like a family gathering if we outdid one another in love and came with our spiritual gifts to serve each other, to show each other Christ. But number two, when the world sees a bunch of people who do not look like each other, are not related, don't really have that much in common, loving each other in this hostile culture, they are going to see that Jesus Christ is the great unifier beyond everything. Nothing brings people together like Christ. Paul continues in verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and trial, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, basically be generous with us in this world. People need to see us being generous, pursuing hospitality. In a world that is hopeless, we rejoice in the hope of Christ. In the world that is impatient and restless, we are patient, even in trial in affliction, in a world that finds all of its strength in itself, we openly proclaim we need help. We need God. And, and I want you to see what this does. In a world that is so self-dependent, so restless, so impatient, so instant gratification, when Christians live like this, it screams to the world, there is something different. What do you have that, that nothing can get you down? What do you have that joy is untouchable for you? What do you have that tragedy can't get you? And in this, in just merely living in holiness, living in this set-apart life consecrated to God, we show the world that Jesus is who we claim that he is. What did I say a, a few minutes ago? We, we see, we show the world that Jesus is the all-satisfying, truly beautiful, absolutely awesome one of the universe. In verse 14, Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. I'm gonna come back to this one in a second because Paul has a whole section like this in just one more verse. Verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, I'm particularly passionate about this one because I work with middle and high schoolers and they're very honest and they'll tell you what the world thinks about Christians. They'll tell you what they think about you. Like they just, they'll just tell you. Uh, if you want to be humbled, work in youth ministry. Um, people think, in this day and age, young people think Christians are just these, like, these bigoted robots who, who don't feel anything. They just 
They just follow some code. They just beat some book. They just, they just try to live morally. They just think, every, they think that, that they're better than everyone else. They think that they're just these heartless, cold, you know, you name it. That's what they think of Christians. They just don't feel anything. They're just like, they just operate on a set of convictions. And I just would say that is the furthest thing from the truth. I would actually argue because we understand the gospel, because we know what we have been saved from in Christ, because we know the weight of our evil and filth and wickedness and what Jesus has done to free us more than anyone else on earth, Christians should rejoice the most. Christians should feel the most. We actually understand the weight of what's going on in the world. That actually frees us to feel. We should laugh the loudest. This is my personal application. We should celebrate the hardest. Christian parties should be the most fun because we understand freedom from the law and the burden and the weight of measuring up. We've been accepted by Christ, not on our behalf, but on his. We've been set free from sin. We should feel the most. And because that's true, we also understand the damage and hardship and struggle of living in a broken, sinful world. So we should weep with those who weep. Christians feel, not just for ourselves, but for others. And in this, we also display the heart of Jesus in this. Jesus is God. He knows he's gonna resurrect Lazarus from the dead And yet Jesus sees everyone weeping over what sin has done to their friend, the son of God who is completely sovereign, who was two two verses later gonna raise him from the dead, weeps because he sees what sin is doing to his people. If Jesus can weep, we can weep. We need to feel Paul transitions, again, I told you it's random, just like, what are we doing, Paul? From dealing with how we operate within the church, with believers, with brothers and sisters, now to a more direct application of how do we operate in a world with people who despise us. Verse 16, we live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Rely on God for your wisdom. If you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. That's... In Proverbs, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. There's a lot here. And I think after reading this, there's really one summary that it's asking of us. Be Christ-like. That's a generic term, but I'm going to show you what I mean by that. There is nothing more Christ-like than to bless and forgive those who attack you. 
the only thing Christ received from us was doubting, mocking, beating, spitting, rebellion. And what did he do? He blessed and forgive. The fact that we are spiritually alive today is because Jesus did not repay evil for evil with us. And he is saying, you do the same. You want to be Christ-like? And just think about this. Like, how otherworldly is this? In a world that prioritizes me, 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 protect me, prioritize me, care for me, don't let anyone attack me, don't let anyone wrong me. Christ says, someone's persecuting you, bless them. It doesn't work in our world. In our world, you hear, you want to know what strong people do? They don't let people wrong them. They retaliate. They get even. They make it right. Who's stronger than Christ? Christ says, you want to be strong? You want to be blessed? You want to show people that I'm enough? When you are attacked, do not be in a hurry to defend yourself. Just bless and forgive. And in doing so, this is just like, when I was reading this, like, what in the world? It's like everything makes sense. And it's in doing so, you will heap fiery coals on their head. It's like, what in the world? My reading. What it's saying, it's kind of funny, is in a sense, we beat our enemies by becoming their friends. The more they attack, 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 and we don't respond, but with grace and grace and forgiveness and truth and the gospel, we are producing, not just for them, but for the people watching, a holy and healthy shame. It's conviction. They will be convicted when they see you are not responding how they want. You're acting as a mirror to show them their foolish actions. It's, it's what it means to be Christ-like. Finally, he closes with, do not be conquered by evil, but be conquered with good. Or conquer evil with good. Um, it's easy to read this and think Paul is just preaching morals. Just be a better person. Just, just here's how you have an easier life. Here's how you have a better life, whatever. Paul is not just preaching be a good person. Paul is preaching utterly countercultural, Christ-exalting holiness. Holiness. For two purposes. Be holy. Well, three purposes, I guess. In the last services, I said two, but I'm adding one for you guys. Special late service is what you get for sleeping in. Uh, uh, be holy because I am holy. That's what God says. It's point number one. And then we be holy for our joy. And then we be holy for our witness. So we're holy because God is holy. We're holy because it's good for us. It's our joy. And we're holy for our witness. And I've already explained be holy because I'm holy. I want to explain how we're holy for the purpose of joy. When you read the book of Acts and you study the people in it, when you meet someone in your life who lives in the holiness and contentment in God that Romans 12 is kind of getting at, one that speaks with truth and grace and somehow balances it, one who forgives freely, one who hates evil and loves what is good, not because they know they need to, but because they genuinely hate the thing that put Jesus on the cross and just love good. Someone who isn't in a hurry and doesn't feel the urgency to defend themselves when they're attacked, they just want, it seems like in every area of their life, they just want Christ to be known and seen in their life. They are willing to get out of the way for Christ to be seen. You know what is an outstanding attribute of most of those people? Joy. 
It's weird. It's like they lose themselves and they're the happiest people in the world. And it doesn't matter what happens to them. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a peaceful, happy confidence that just glows off of the person who lives completely for the audience, attention, and pleasure of one, Jesus Christ, not themselves. You see people in Acts, like, no matter what Satan does, throw them in prison, beat them half to death, arrest them, joy. They're just happy. Who cares? It says, there's a verse in Acts, I don't know what it is, but it's, they get taken into the courtroom, beaten for their faith, and the Bible says they left rejoicing. Like, no matter what life does, the tragedy that it brings, they have peace and contentment. Think about Paul. He's shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, stoned to the point where they thought he was dead, imprisoned like four times, writes like the most joyful book in the Bible with chains on in Philippians. Like, he's dragged over the coals over and over and over and over again. And every time he gets up, even more excited to preach the gospel, even more excited to follow God, even more in love with Jesus. And I, I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, I want that. How do I get that? How do we grow in this holiness, this distinct set apart love for God? The answer is so simple and so difficult for us. We need to be stunned. Stunned by the goodness of the gospel every day. So many times we say we believe things and then our lives don't look like it. And, and I just really think, <clears throat> if we really believe that the cross of Christ, the, the perfect, innocent, spotless Jesus who, who lived in heaven and, and sat on a throne in heaven and is all of glory, all of history is about him. This one who hated sin more than anyone was willing to be counted guilty of all of it. Died in our place, took our shame, took our guilt, drank God's wrath and then rose from the dead. If that really means we can be saved and set free from our sin forever in relationship with God, never to be removed from anyone or anything. What do we have to lose? We read Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like that's a sick tattoo. It's a cool bumper sticker. It's way cooler when you actually believe that. Like when you look at the cross and go, I am a sinner who deserves separation from God forever. And God himself entered creation for me to take my sin, to take my, my punishment that I deserve. What did I do to deserve that? Nothing. It's God's love on you that the prophets have spoken about forever, that the angels want to see when we are stunned by that reality And we pray, God, show me my sin and all of its filth and break me over the gospel until I don't want any more of me. I just want you. Just pray that and run to the cross every day. 
We're going to sing this in just a second. Not me. I'm not going to lead us in this. That's good for you guys. And I think it's a perfect example of what we're talking about right now. This is the song, How Great Thou Art. And this lyric just captures the stunned love for the gospel. Listen to this. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, who died? He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul. How great thou art. How great thou art. When you see the glory of God in the cross and you are stunned by what God has done to show his love for you and what he is doing to get his glory across the universe, you will live for him. The more that you see of God, the less you will want yourself and the more you will be holy and by default, happy. This is how the Bible works. The less you worry about making much of you, the more joy and peace you will have in Christ. Despite your circumstances. You know why? Because you can be holy when you're suffering. You can be holy when you're prospering. There is not a single time, nothing can happen that can touch the joy or the reality that you are Christ's. And you will be with him one day. And if suffering leads to death, you get to be with him sooner. God gives us Romans 12 for our joy and for our witness. For our efforts in getting the gospel to lost people. There's a famous saying, and if you've heard it, I want you to finish it for me. No one in the last few services has been able to do this, so I'm hoping you guys can do it. <clears throat> Share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, right? Raise your hand if you've at least heard that before. All right, put your hands down. I hate that statement. I hate that statement. You know, the devil knew what he was doing. He gave us a really nice cop-out for being faithful to sharing the gospel with our words as we've been commanded. Maybe if I just live nice, people are going to see me and want to believe in Jesus. Probably not. Actually, that's never happened in history. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we can almost swing the pendulum too far in the other direction and think that our actions have no effect on our evangelism. When in reality, the truth is in the middle. You cannot share the gospel without your words. And yet, people will not believe that you believe it, nor will they notice or see the apparent value in Christ if you do not model the gospel. How we handle suffering, how we rejoice, how we handle hardship, how we handle jealousy, how we handle being snubbed by the college football playoff committee, how we handle conversations, how we handle things at work, how we handle things in our car, how we handle those who've wronged us, how we handle everything in our life. It's gonna show people what we're about, me or Christ. I wanna clarify, this is not sharing the gospel. This is showing the gospel. 
which aids us in our sharing the gospel. Which is the mission of Acts. It's the story of Acts. People getting the gospel out at all costs. And the calling for us today, alongside of be faithful in sharing the gospel, is be holy. Because God is holy. Because it brings us joy. and Because it helps our witness. In 2023, we saw the faithfulness of Christians in Acts, stunned by the glory of Jesus and the cross, doing any and everything they could to get that message out, letting Christ dominate their lives in holiness and obedience. And now, City Church, the pen is in our hands. The canon of Acts is closed. No more books being added to the Bible. But the story and mission of Acts is alive and well. And it's in our church. And it starts here. So I want to leave you with this. Tallahassee does not change for Christ because there's a great bunch of Christians doing great things for God. Tallahassee comes face to face with Christ when a bunch of ordinary Christians who have come face to face with Christ themselves and are stunned by the gospel are faithful every day to both the proclamation of the gospel with our mouths and the showing of the gospel with our lives and in our hearts for our joy, for God's glory, and for the good of our lost neighbors. Let's pray. God, there are not words in the English language that could capture how undeserving we are of your attention and affection, and yet we have it somehow. God, it is not because we are good or great or spectacular. In fact, we are quite the opposite. God, we are filthy and rebellious. God, I pray you'd show us that. Would you show us just our sin? Just bring it before us, ever before our face. We'll always be reminded we, we are so undeserving. And then God, let us go to the cross in our minds and see what you've done for us in the person and work of your son, the innocent dying for the sinful. Would you just stun us? So much so, God, we don't want any more of ourselves. Get us out of the way and just make more room for you. That's what we pray. Make us holy, make us happy in our holiness and let our holiness help us, God, to share the gospel. And when we fail and fall short, Lord, pick us back up. And remind us that you love us, not because we're great at sharing the gospel or because we're great at being holy. You love us because you love us. And you showed us that in Christ on the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.